0: This is a podcast from the Refugee Study Centre. To learn more about our work, please visit www.rsc.ox.ac.uk.
1: What we want to do today is to... You with some of the thinking behind the book, some of the concepts that we we'll were using, and some of the empirical sort of evidence and analysis that we came up with. It's not uh, the totality of the book. We're um, very happy to sell you copies for £15 at the end. If you want them signed, it will probably cost £20. But anyway, there it is. That's quite a discount on the, the shop price. But uh, that's the full text. And we're going to sort of take some cross sections, particularly. Of uh, the work that we did in the book, and actually, it's quite interesting. With well, even two people writing a book is difficult; three people is quite a challenge. And I think we've actually—it would be very hard to detect who wrote which sections of the the book. I think because I think we've managed to edit it in a very kind of cohesive way. But anyway, there, we we did take different parts and, and worked on different parts uh, through the process. So that is the book. Just a little bit of background before we get into the. Um, the, the detailed discussion and, and sort of elaborating the ideas. Um, the work was originally funded by the Paul Hamlin Foundation, Paul Hamlin Trust, for those of you who are not British, you may not know, but it's one of the largest British um, trust foundations. Its work focuses very much on young people, which is why they were keen to support our work, um, and it, their, their work, their, their funding focuses very much on kind of socially marginalized groups, so socially marginalized youth by and large, they fund really sort of projects and programs and organizations and so on. They very rarely fund large scale research of the kind that we did, so we were quite privileged actually to get the grant from them to do the work and I think what attracted them really is the, the kind of what we call researching everyday illegality. What we were trying to do was to really provide kind of ethnography really of uh, this group of un- young migrants um, for which there's very little research worldwide and certainly very little in Britain and the sort of combination of them being young and illegal or undocumented it was that kind of conjunction which I think particularly attracted uh, Paul Hamlin Foundation and certainly attracted us to the idea of, of doing the research. As I say it was very ethnographically based research we interviewed 75 Undocumented migrants from those five populations. Um, I mean, the label young is somewhat sort of fluid. Um, but we, what we did not want to interview and the research was not about uh, un, un, unaccompanied minors so 18 was the, the the bottom age group and it was slightly extended um, partly driven by the, uh, the participants themselves and, and their ages so we, we had this kind of broad uh, age range five different populations, ethnicities somewhat subjectively constructed but with a, a kind of set of assumptions about the stereotypical drivers that might have encouraged these particular groups to migrate and our thinking was that maybe Zimbabweans and Turkish Kurds were more likely to be uh, asylum seekers or asylum seekers who'd arrived uh, in an undocumented mode or had failed to um, receive some kind of status whereas uh, Chinese migrants, we made certain assumptions about the kind of labour migration that might drive their interests and aspirations. Ukrainians and Brazilians we felt perhaps were at the other kind of end of the spectrum, if you like, of more sort of voluntary migrants, um, in which perhaps youth might be a particular kind of facet of their and the kind of right of passage from youth to adulthood might be a particular facet of the 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 stimulus for them their, their migration. We explored their migration histories, we explored the different routes of entry, we explored the motivations for migration and as one might imagine the kind of outcome is um, on the whole a fairly kind of depressing story of their social marginalisation, their hidden lives, their failed search for documentation um, the extent to which they might be exploited because of their lack of status and so on but at the same time and as I think we'll be able to show that there is uh, the, the intersection of youth and their undocumentedness uh, produces or induces a kind of sense of resilience a sense of this rite of passage um, and a sense of coping with a very ambiguous identity um, in, in, in Britain and this was sort of captured in the, the kind of phrase, no right to dream, which was the title of the original report to the funders, and that report we kind of reworked pretty substantially uh, into the book. And I guess it's sort of epitomised by one of the respondents, um, a quote from other respondents, I should say that the research method, what we did, we had five uh, research assistants, one from each of these populations, so they, they interviewed in the 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 native language, the native tongue they recorded uh, the interviews the the interviews were totally transcribed and then uh, somewhat to my sceptical view being of a certain age, we used Vivo. I've never used that kind of software. I always sort of had the had the material and the papers and the interviews in my hand and sort of keep reading, rereading. But we used I was persuaded by Alice the and, and Nando particularly to use Vivo, And we used Vivo to Extract um, the particular themes that we are interested in and the book as you'll see is written around a lot of these kind of the the narratives of the respondents quoting from them and then analysing and interpreting the the quotations around particular themes and uh, I suppose it's summarised by Terry's (coughs) response here when you don't have papers like me it sort of makes all those little dreams uh, you had before become blurred and as optimistic as you try to be the fact that you're going nowhere is a very painful existence and that I guess is the kind of fil rouge that runs through the book although as I say it, it, it is not a, a totally um, demoralising and distressing story but it's a story I think of resilience and the way young people manage to find the means, both the emotional means the physical means, the material means to respond to circumstances which are very um, uh, very containing, very constraining of their identity and uh, their kind of writer passage as young people. So that's put sort of by way of the book, and what we're going to do is kind of swap over various sort of aspects, various slides, to now elaborate what the book's actually about. Okay. Thank
0: you very much. All right. Um... So with the context of this research, I mean, when we did the research, the focus was mainly on the UK and England, and we did uh, this intensive fieldwork. Then over the following few years, the issue of undocumented migration irregularity became so much more like, topical and timely in many ways, and you will see them becoming more visible and one issue that also emerged is uh, some of the dimension of, uh, of the meaning of illegality in inverted commas, um, as pointed out by um, a number of scholars, varies according to places and time. So there's uh, some very important work by, for example, um, Mayan guy on the US, which shows how the groups that were labeled as illegal, but also the meaning of illegality in terms of what it entails, it does entail, have changed over the last century, for example. Um, But the focus here is what we wanted to do with our research was somehow start a conversation with other places uh, and to see how illegality was uh, was reflected in political discourses also on the other side of the pond in particular and um, the citation here from Barack Obama is quite interesting because um, just towards the end of um, after we had finished the project but we were starting to, uh, during the writing up stage of the book uh, he and He came up with this statement just before um, the election for his second mandate. And he said, these are young people who study in our school, they play in our neighborhoods, they are friends of our kids, they pledge alliances to the flag, they are American in their heart, in their minds, in every single way but one, on paper. Following this statement, uh, which we can discuss it later, why that, that specific time before the election, the importance of the Mexican electorate within the US, uh, issued an executive order um, called the Third Action for Childhood, childhood Arrival that since then has regularised about 600,000 young migrants. So that's a, a very powerful statement, and there is a statement around inclusion, about uh, the, defini- the definition of the boundaries of citizenship and belonging to a specific political um, community. <laughs> More or less, at the same time, on this side of the pond, David Cameron, he was about 12 months into his uh, uh, prime ministerial job, uh, said, I want everyone on this country to help reclaim our borders. And following that statement, he launched something called the National Allegation Database, which was a way for people to report alleged undocumented migrants online, so not even by doing a phone call. So there was a database where you could put, I think that person is illegal, things like that. Um, Following this statement, statement, in the the first quarter there were about 20,000 allegations that were registered on the database. (coughs) And the following term was about 19,000. So it was quite interesting how the discourse around illegality can be so polarized. That's what I want to point out here. Following also um, uh, a statement like that is the famous campaign the Go Home campaign that many of you may have heard. So the um, the Home Office uh, uh, sent a van in Brixton in South London with some inviting people to self-report themselves and go home. Just as a footnote, this failed. Very few people self report themselves and uh, the Home Office on a a value-for-money basis was forced to withdraw the proposal. (laughs) However, in a certain sense, the the political discourse around illegality can be extremely polarised. However, Barack Obama is also the president that has done the largest number of deportations in the American history, with about two millions just under his presidency. And um, David Cameron, partly following up on uh, something that the Labour Party has started, has given uh, the status to over 300,000 people through the case, um, the resolution program, which is a program that was introduced to clear up the backlog of some application. A program that actually is never ending in terms that uh, initially they start to clear up some, some uh, uh, people giving the status and then they find out new boxes with applications that were forgotten and so more people get cleared up. Uh, so here you can see how you can have a tension between the discourse and the governance of illegality illegality was in in different places which is something to take into account I think it's also another element here that we need to bear in mind in in the following discussion is the element that uh, The immigration system is not a zero-sum equation, by which I mean the problem why David Cameron didn't manage to sort out the backlog is that because the immigration system continuously produces people outside the system, at the margin of the system. So it's not that you can solve the problem, in that way, and this is also what is forcing now uh, Barack Obama to acknowledge the fact that people are in the country that are not going to to leave. So it makes sense to start to regularize them. And currently, I don't know if you have been following the discussion. There is uh, uh, the possibility of another executive order coming out from Barack Obama uh, in the next few weeks and months. The, the key element here that uh, the legality is change over time, change over place, and is constructed through specific laws and legislation. That basically is almost as uh, uh, Nicholas the gentleman says is a legal in a way is produced by the immigration law itself. So it's almost a status, it's a non-status produced by specific immigration legislation. And this is something that also resonates with what we found in our research, and we'll come back later.
1: Okay. What we want to do now is uh, the next two slides really um, seek to elaborate the two uh, sort of conceptual, the conjunctural two kind of conceptual frames of of the work, and Nando's partly introduce the first one, the irregularity, what we call the governance of illegality. And then the next slide, uh, the next part, that, uh, the second part uh, intersecting with that, uh, Nando's going to talk um, a little bit about the intersections of legal status and youth. Um, so looking really at the kind of dynamics of migration, irregular migration and governing irregularity, there are a number of points I think that we want to sort of introduce here Uh, and what I've done is to just take two quotes again from Terry, the one we've already seen I can't do anything without papers but also the way in which this kind of notion of illegality is treated by some of the undocumented young migrants and again this kind of ironic jokey uh, comment by Custodia from from, from Brazil the best places to go, the English ones that's where the police don't find you so there's this sense in which Illegality or being undocumented is a game but it's obviously a game that's played with extremely high stakes and what we found I think in a lot of the responses of the uh, undocumented migrants was this kind of use of humour to almost um, conceal if you like the kind of underlying anxiety and the, the liminal state in which they found themselves But the point I think I want to make here is that really, as as Nando said, we're dealing with a kind of constructed notion of what illegality is. And the context of it, obviously, is the political discourse, which uh, we're very familiar with, I guess, over the last 15, 20 years. It's a discourse in Britain that is partly around intra-European migration it 's partly about migration from outside europe to to Europe and particularly to the u k and I think it 's particularly about the um, process and the patterns of migration by asylum seekers and refugees, many of whom obviously arrive in an undocumented state and status and it 's this political discourse which I think forms the backcloth, and I want to say a little bit about that. I think there are three sort of interrelated dimensions, if you like, of the, the global migration and the consequence of this, the rebordering and the, the fencing and the gatekeeping that's been erected. First of all, that migration itself is increasingly a global phenomenon and it's both a product of social networks and also it's a platform for consolidating these network, networks and so on. So I think we have to see undocumentedness within a much larger context. I think the second point is that this conjuncture of globalisation and international migration is both a cause and a consequence of this economic restructuring. And I think what is very significant is that every one of the young people that we interviewed really came not just because of the excitement and experience of migration, but they, they came to work, and indeed they needed to work to, to survive and stay here. So I think we have to sort of frame part of this discussion around the kind of political economy uh, discussions um, that I think mediate the way in which the young migrants sought access to the country and then obviously sought the means to survive when they're in country within the country. I think the third theme is really very much about the sort of governance of migration and the, as Nando was saying or implying, the extent to which these patterns and processes of global migration are seeming more and more to challenge the capacity of states, the the capacity of citizenship regimes, the sovereign authorities to manage and regulate these movements uh, in a way which accords with the political discourse. And this, of course, I think, places enormous pressure on governments and on the the political status of governments, really, to try and manage migration. And so the extent to which undocumented migrants arrive, both the number and the process by which they arrive, is obviously a challenge to the authority of the states. And that, I think, is, again, very important to the context in which the book was set because it has indeed profoundly affected the political landscape of many advanced economies, including the UK. Uh, I think there have been ten major pieces of legislation since 1993 dealing with immigration and asylum. (coughs) The context, obviously, is the the growth of pre-entry controls, post-entry controls... First of all, I think in the early stages, driven by kind of notions of good community relations and so on and so forth, so forth. But increasingly, I think driven by uh, and superseded by this the securitisation of migration. And again, I think we have to see part of the, the context and the development of this enormous superstructure of migration control and regulation within the context of the securitisation debates. So, who then is undocumented, and how is the governance and the vocabulary of illegality developed? I think what we find is an enormous range of terms, first of all, illegality, irregularity, clandestine entry, unauthorised entry, and so on. And the politically charged nature, I think, of these terms is very clear and probably very deliberate as well. But what is clear is that this sort of simple dichotomy between who is illegal and who is legal is neither obvious in practice. For example, um, Bridget Anderson and Martin Roos suggest that there are in fact over 80 different entry routes just to the UK alone. So again, deciding who actually is illegal and who is illegal just in terms of their entry is extremely difficult to establish. And obviously challenge is very much the conceptions of the young migrants themselves and how they identify their undocumentedness, so to speak. I think alongside the official status and the official categories, and it's interesting to see the way that the terminology of government has, has shifted over the years from a focus very much on kind of status, whether somebody is illegal whether they're overstayers, whether they're failed asylum seekers, it's shifted from a language which deals with status to a language which increasingly deals with entry routes and the processes of entry so government documentation policy talks a lot about clandestine entry, it talks a lot about document document fraud and and so on so again the the language itself I think is very malleable and is driven I think by the political circumstances and the political rhetoric at different times what's also became clear to us and I think another sort of point of kind of the intersection of the the concept of legality and illegality is the way in which, certainly from the point of view of the uh, participants, the respondents we interviewed, was the way in which undocumentedness was not so much a status but very much a kind of process, if you like. And what we found is that the undocumented migrants would very often migrate between different statuses. They may, in fact, have been regular migrants. They may have been students who arrived with valid visas and then overstayed, so they sort of migrated, as it were, into illegality. Um, and clearly arriving perhaps with a claim for asylum status and then failing to achieve that status was very much therefore a kind of thinking that whilst from a a political and a policy point of view we're we're dealing with a kind of very static designation of a status from the point of view of the migrants themselves and the young migrants it was seen very much as a kind of process um, and as I say sort of stages of transition uh, in and out of statuses between different categories of different types of being undocumented as well and I think this again was sort of quite important from the point of view of our understanding of the concept of illegality but also in terms of understanding how the young undocumented migrants themselves perceived their identity vis-a-vis a a kind of a static formula that the state had, had erected it's what Lisa Schuster calls status mobility What seemed clear is that that status mobility was conditioned by um, opportunism, it was conditioned by the circumstances in which the student, the, the uh, young undocumented migrants had arrived and so on and so forth um, it was conditioned by those kind of variables as much as I, and to sort of emphasise the point, as much as by a particular designation of status that came from the official discourse and so on So, again, one sort of thinks of it very much in terms of kind of levels of compliance, I think, and I think the the concept of compliance is very valuable in our study because it opens up ways in which one can explore the the levels of knowledge or ignorance that the undocumented migrants had about their status, about the regulatory framework that governs immigration, and also the kind of room for manoeuvre that they might perceive that they had within within those parameters. And then finally, the point that Nanda's already made, the kind of constructed and the criminalised identity, distinguishing between official statuses and the migrants' own sort of subjectivity, as it were, about their situation, their position, I think is very much a kind of core theme which the book explores. Um, And it takes on, I think, a very powerful significance in the lives of undocumented migrants when we consider this kind of populist construction of illegality because in a sense uh, whilst the young person may lack technically a valid immigration document and that in a sense can't be denied what is evident firstly is that the non-status is located as Nando says precisely in these kind of interstices of very complex statutory and policy frameworks which regulate who is eligible, who who can gain access and who cannot so in a sense the more categories you create uh, to try and manage and control entry, the more state policies really contribute to the pr- prevalence of the notion of illegality of more and more people who perhaps unwittingly fall outside the, the bureaucratic practices and machinery. And so undocumentedness becomes a kind of constructed identity, not a kind of a priori status. And clearly, the more that the political discourse focuses on illegality, the more that it constructs a notion of criminality around being illegal, again, which is a constructed identity, the more problematic it becomes for the, the young uh, undocumented migrants themselves. I think at this point I will leave that because there are some points that I wanted to make, but I'll come back to them, I think, at the end. And now to we'll move over to the other conceptual frame that we're using, which Nedda is going to talk about, which is youth and legal status
0: so following up on Roger's uh, um, explanation this idea that undocumented uh, status or illegality is a process is something that uh, highlights also another aspect um, and the idea that uh, people can fall in and out of status also help us or should help us to Position the issue of legal status in a broader biography, migration, migration my biography, by which I mean people that come to the UK when they're youth, they have, uh, uh, and you can see also from the initial reference to Barack Obama regularization or to David Cameron, case social program, they may have an expectation to be able to regularize their status after a while. So while the political discourse tends to cut categories in a kind of uh, clear-cut dimension, illegal-illegal, in reality, in the everyday life, there is a sense that it is fluid. It's fluid not just in terms of the experience of the migrants, but also in terms of the way that the bureaucracy of migration operates. So this is something that we need to take. Be in (laughs) mind. Another element that, following up on what Roger said, is this idea that uh, being illegal is something that people don't know a priori. So a lot of the people we encountered in our research uh, found out what really meant to be undocumented in UK, all the UK only once they were here. So they really ha- didn't have a, a sense of what uh, being without status would imply in terms of their everyday life, their chances, their opportunities. <coughs> was something that was emerging gradually. And again, linking back to the, what I said initially about the, the legal and social construction of illegality, this construction changed over time. So, so one of the... Set of the uh, as, as a number of the people we interviewed pointed out is, uh, is that, for example, they pointed out the fact that now it's become more difficult to find a job uh, or uh, now I'm much more careful when I get on the bus because there is checks in the, in the tube stations so the, this now is like this previously was a little bit different something that emerged a lot from the narrative so in a sense there is a change uh, what does it mean to experience and the change also according to a shift in the policy and the practice and the way that uh, migration enforcement is implemented um, one dimension of the research that in a way made it uh, original uh, particularly within the UK context was that of intersecting legal status with other dimensions. I mean, Roger mentioned at the beginning the idea that we looked at people coming from very different backgrounds. Um, and had come in through different entry routes. And to see how the fact of being legal status was affecting a person who came here as, an, um, as a, Kur, a Kurdish migrant, who apply for asylum, gets refused, and then lives in the UK as undocumented, is very different from the way that someone who comes from Brazil on a study visa and overstay their, their, their visa. In a sense, both in terms of their everyday experience, in terms of their chances, in terms of the fear of being deported, which for everyone every of you that has some are familiar with the literature on illegality is one of the key issues: though, the deportability or non-deportability element. Um, Another dimension that intersects legal status, uh, which the fact of working on different groups enable us to see, and is something that, for example, uh, within in the U.S. literature is not visible because they, everything is around Mexican, essentially, or South American. So it's, there is much more. Uh, homogeneity in the group is the difference that colors, skin colors made. So in some of the group we worked with, the Ukrainian and the Brazilian, it was clear that, for example, for the Ukrainian, they really had an expectation of being, because they were white, to be treated like the Polish that are their neighbors, for example. But also the possibility they had to go to a gym or to enroll or to go to the restaurant or going out because they were not visible, they were not stopped by the police on the street on Friday night. Among the Brazilians, it was a more complex situation because you had another element was that the black Brazilians were much more visible than white Brazilians, and so some black Brazilians pointed out the fact that was particularly aware of this condition. The, 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 however, the key element, the way we have intersected illegally, is the idea of youth and to understand age play a role in the way and the strategies that uh, the migrant, the um, uh, put in place or the way that they experience illegality and uh, um, and obviously we are aware that youth is socially constructed uh, it's uh, um, and it's also gendered uh, a change over uh, space in terms of the country of origin there are expectations and roles that change in space but also the, the idea that the ideas of youth or imaginaries of youth are transnational and they are constructed through migration itself and so uh, some of the groups we work with for example uh, there was a very clear sense of the idea of migrating was part of their becoming adult. in particular with um, uh, some of the Kurdish interview we spoke to this idea that uh, get to, uh, once you get to 18 before starting a family this idea of moving out to Turkey was quite uh, An element of them becoming uh, going into adulthood, Uh, and and there are different uh, moments in a way that the youth was particularly visible as as um, or affecting the decision making around uh, migration, both in terms of. The reason and motivation for migration, and we'll be back later at the end with some example, uh, with uh, the way that people were managing their migratory project and their expectation once in the country, and and also the idea of uh, enduring illegality in the sense of link to that young and younger can face this now. So it was something that was uh, quite strong within our research.
1: Conscious about the time. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, the trouble with two of us doing it is that we probably both anticipate sort of speaking for 40 minutes in, in the norm. Okay, so the, the next um, moving now really to the uh, empirical part of the, of the book and there are I think three or four dimensions that we want to talk about I'm going to talk about arrival, socialisation and uh, irregularity and confronting the irregularity and I think the, um, the the two first quotes really set the boundaries really of the, the 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 first set of experiences and perhaps paradoxically one of the surprising things is that it wasn't so much the lack of a kind of documented status that really initially confronted many of the participants many of the, the respondents to our to our study. But in, in a sense, and perhaps surprisingly given that perhaps the motivation of young people was to experience the world, it was in fact the confronting the unfamiliar, the unknown, the reality which fell far short of the kind of expectations they had which propelled the kind of migratory adventure in the first place. i um, put a couple of quotes there, but there are many other narratives in in the study which uh, describes sort of coming here and facing the reality and it was here that obviously, I think particularly for young people as well, you've had a whole range of aspirations and motives, it was here that many of those kind of aspirations, many of those expectations in fact met, met a very harsh reality. To be honest I was shocked I came here thinking, oh London, such a great place, well it wasn't a great place another quote here. So it was this kind of sense of the emotional shock and uh, lack of preparedness um, that confronted uh, the, the, the participants when they arrived, the undocumented migrants very much reinforced by some of the physical conditions that they experience particularly housing and so on which we talk a lot about in the book so this idea of young people migrating, searching for contrasting and more fulfilling experiences than they might have had at home this kind of sense that this might be the motivation uh, almost without exception in the 75 uh, sort of participants ended up with kind of shattered illusions at least initially so instead of the kind of excitement that one, and, the, and um, the kind of aspirations that one anticipated the normal reaction seemed to be a kind of overwhelming set, sense of despondency as Uliana says here I thought you are in trouble no one would even lift a finger to help Again there are kind of distinctions, um, particularly I think the the sense of anxiety, the sense of um, being confronted with reality was particularly acute for Turkish Kurds, particularly those who'd been seeking sanctuary here. Um, Whereas for those who were perhaps seeking to make a better life, particularly perhaps some of the Brazilians and so on, uh, where far less was, exta- was at stake than the, 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 the perhaps being sort of forcibly repatriated to Turkey or, 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 or whatever, or to Zimbabwe. Um, the the sent that kind of anxiety, I think, was slightly more sort of muted. Um, to what extent would these kind of experiences be different from uh, older migrants? Is there a particular kind of youth perspective on the, this, this sense of? Anxiety, the sense of despondency, this kind of "you are in trouble" mentality. I think we probably detected two or three factors, or two, two or three um, ways in which that, that, that the, the 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 idea of the youth and the, and the sense in which youth intersected these these kind of responses. First of all, quite a number of the respondents reprise the lack of home and the the lack of family and again I think that perhaps is a distinctive aspect of of young people, the kind of security and stability at times of unhappiness, at times of anxiety. I think a second kind of characteristic which again perhaps is more distinctive and and, and perhaps more salient to, to the younger migrants is the the lack of familiar social networks and social institutions and this was particularly problematic because of course being undocumented the migrants, particularly Zimbabweans, uh, Turkish Kurds and Chinese were very, very reluctant to go out they would stay in the houses, Uh, they would stay, they would keep themselves concealed they would not go out in the daytime and so on And so trying to integrate with the social networks and their ethnic networks that were already here took a long time to establish. For the Brazilians, Ukrainians, it was less of a problem. So the lack of family support compounded with the inability to access the wider social networks, I think, again, was perhaps a distinctive feature of the experience of the young people. And I think the third factor that comes across very dramatically is the way in which conversely the young people very quickly realised how they had to take responsibility for themselves and the situation which they had arrived in and there was a very discernible trend of a kind of rapid maturing of, of the, or, or a way in which the young migrants had perceived they has kind of rapidly matured in these very, very demanding circumstances of being undocumented and, in a sense, having to create a, a kind of subverted uh, identity. So this kind of growing up very quickly, coping as independent adults and dispensing with the kind of illusions and aspirations of youth, I think, was a very dominant kind of theme. And this kind of transition from youth to adulthood had to take place extremely rapidly in these kind of very demanding circumstances. Another kind of um, very dominant sort of feature, I think, was this kind of notion of being invisible. And I think the experience here of Fernando, I, I think, is, is kind of revealing on, on many levels about sort of learning to be illegal. And we, we talk about... in in the book and we discuss a number of the dimensions in which illegality has to be played out in terms of accommodation education, seeking access to health and so on but I think the, I've just taken one quote here from Fernando because I think at sort of two if not three levels it sort of indicates exactly the kind of situation that he was in and we can see the different dimensions of learning to be illegal which are revealed in that quotation First of all, the, kind of the, the basic level of just having to suppress his identity as being illegal. And then, at another level, the kind of very material penalties. He, he couldn't obviously, as he didn't have an NHS prescription, he had to pay for the drugs himself, more than £7 or whatever the prescription fee was at the time. So there were very, very specific um, penalties and those penalties are then sort of played out in other kinds of arenas for example in terms of of, uh, exploitation in housing and so on so there are material penalties as as well as other kinds of penalties that uh, the young uh, young undocumented migrants experienced and then I think the third level is how, um, you know, in, in a sense he had to almost sort of invert his personality and he had to sort of apologise to the chemist for the fact that he had incurred a penalty. Of course he couldn't explain why this was the case. He had to sort of contrive this kind of excuse that he was going to a private doctor and so on and so forth. So I think just this one part one extract from one part of the narrative really uh, reveals the, the way in which uh, in every aspect of their lives, in every encounter with the outside world you know, outside the room that they were living in, they had to behave and had to adopt an identity which was highly contrived they had to almost kind of double think their role every time they were confronted with some kind of formal structure uh, of the state, whether it was trying to access education which again I haven't got time to talk about, which was extremely problematic for uh, young documented migrants, particularly those who had grown up in Britain and then had reached the age of 18, tried to access higher education and found of course that they couldn't do that. But I don't, in, in all these kind of junctures, whether it's housing, education, health, so on and so forth you see this kind of construction of an identity which has to always double think the, the, the position that you 're in um, and the response that you have to give, just to sort of wind up on on this part of the of the presentation, I think what we see here and what the, the, the narratives of this process of initial arrival and socialized being socialized into illegality show is that whereas much of the literature, I think, on migrant agency in host states frames it in terms of a kind of collective support, social network, social capital, the substructure of the social capital and so on, what emerges from our study, I think particularly about undocumentedness, but maybe not exclusively to do with young people, is the way in which the process of adaptation, the adaptation to everyday life, is very much an individual aspect. They have to rely on their own resources uh, they, and, and the kind of fragility of their own personality in many cases. It's an individual act of migrant agency for which it is very, very hard to uh, find kind of supporting structures and so on. But at the same time, I think the way in which the response to a lack of identity comes out is that. In many cases there was also a kind of challenge to the authority of the state, a challenge to the political discourse, a challenge to the kind of structures which, if you like, pressured their undocumented identity. And what we begin to see, and I think Nando's now going to talk a bit more about this, is the way in which the kind of resilience of the of the young people comes out in their everyday encounters and how in in a sense the kind of blurred boundaries between being documented and undocumented, legal and illegal, create a kind of room for maneuver, create a kind of space within which their kind of resilience and, and their aspirations begin to begin to play out. So now over to Nando for the next couple of slides. <coughs>
0: Yeah, the, we, we're going to look um, at three um, aspects before moving into the conclusion first of all the idea of uh, Legal status as in between the public and the private space, so the sense to which the private is also shaped by the legal status. So Some of the literature point out the fact that it seems like the legal status is only something that's related to the relationship of the individual with the external um, subjects. Uh, our research really pointed out how it's also shaped and affect uh, the way that the person constructs their own subjectivity and related to their close network of friends and families. And... Um, the next slide will be focused on uh, the way that legal status shape the mobility and the physical uh, the movement through space of, uh, of the migrants. And finally, um, we go back in closure to the, the, um, some ways that youth at legal status intersect with some <coughs> examples. So, two aspects uh, in relation to the blurring boundaries between the private and public. Um, first point I want to make is this idea of legal status as a baggage, uh, something like a, a I have too much baggage to engage and create friendship networks. There is a very often an idea that legal status uh, forced you into lying to people, being able to share fully, to disappear. And so you got the example of relationship with break the breakup when the other person finds out about the legal status. But also, for example, a number of people were uh, engaged with uh, UK citizens and then they. They didn't want. They always felt like their own uh, relationship was fake because the other person could think that they were engaged because of what they wanted the status. So there was always this behind within their brain, in a way, the way they were related. The other, not necessarily, it was true, but it was something that was really shaping their attitudes. Um, so friendship become meaningless, as many people pointed out. However, it's also interesting how this has got an impact, not only on the country of residence, but also in the country of origin, and somehow the transnational effect of legal status on family relations extend beyond uh, the uh, network in the UK. Uh, uh, as um, uh, Gian, a 23-year-old um, uh, young woman from, uh, uh, from Turkey, quotes from Turkey, pointed out, the fact of being uh, undocumented, it makes you really impossible almost to share something, or share how do you feel about the legal status with your family because you don't want to be a burden on them, you don't want to you know, offload your attention on your family so you basically always say, everything is fine but in a way, this create a relationship which is not sincere it makes you more distant from your family also back home, which is something that very rarely come up in the literature on underworld migration, everyone, many most of the researchers tend to focus on the impact on the country of origin without thinking of the trust- national ramification uh, we're not talking of this here but there is also impact for example on remittances legal status and effect on the remittances practice of migrants and the way they send back home and why they send motivation so, yes, and we talked uh, in a chapter of the book specifically on, on this issue so the other aspect I want to touch upon is about the geographies of illegality and the idea that somehow legal status as has been pointed out also by uh, Douglas Massey, immobilized people somehow. so the unoglomer migrant found very difficult to move uh, partly they, they basically they cannot leave the country so in a sense by making our border more tightly closed also block people in uh, from from leaving uh, but this also has actually an impact on the experience we are collected first of all people pointed out to the fact that for example they cannot go for the funer- funeral or uh, a beloved person back home as something that was really affecting them so if people saying if I could go or if I could move outside when needed then I would feel much better um, and this sense of feeling in UK as if a, a, a prison. So the idea of uh, the insularity also felt as uh, something that they cannot bridge. On the other end, and this is something that, um, I don't know if you have not, through the presentation we have pointed out this idea of agency, the capacity and resilience. Uh, people also taught us about how they be, learn to become street-wise. So how they learn about ways to go around to the constriction they face uh, has been as undocumented. So the idea that, well, I don't get on the underground, I prefer to walk in some cases, or oh, for example, I never get on public transport, especially now that there are raids I get taxi in the evening, especially on weekends, so there are ways around and people learn how to, to cope with practical ways with the condition of their legal status um, and finally, going back to in particular to the way that uh, um, youth and status intersect, there are three aspects I want to uh, stress, and there are many more in a way, all the books about young people so every chapter so in the book talks about youth and legal status, but there some, some are three aspects I want to uh, focus in particular. One, this idea of uh, uh, striving for independence. Somehow people engage. this reason for migrate is in some cases the fact that they want to be independent as uh, a number of Ukrainian migrants that we interviewed pointed out but those two among the Kurds. I mean, there are, for example, some of the Kurds the Kurds interview said that once they came to London, they learned the language, for example, and they really learned what they meant to build their Kurdishness was developed in, in, uh, when they were outside the country, the country of origin. But also, this will be called a here and now attitude, but not thinking about the consequences too much. So, in a sense, this idea that well, I'm a young, I can deal with this for now, and this idea, and this is also has got a repercussion in terms of for how long you can cope with the fact of being undocumented. In a number of cases, people when they were get to a point in which uh, they have to decide. Um, to set up a family or to create a relation and the kids, there was pointed out as now is, I cannot en- endure this anymore and people were thinking about going back to their country of origin. Obviously there are significant differences between the group some people couldn't go back, even if they were uh, refused or something, they really didn't consider at all the possibility of going back to Turkey especially among the Kurds. But among for example a number of the Ukrainian people we interviewed there was this idea, know, i go back, I mean that's enough. I, um, as, as another interviewer pointed out, I lived uh, my youth in the best City in Europe, and uh, you know, and now had enough as time to go. And we're talking also people that not necessarily lived, um, lived also quite um, uh, in a quite good condition in terms of their capacity to send back money on the herd, especially among the Ukrainians. We're not talking about people that were poor in, in some cases, but we can go back later. Uh, just leave it to Roger to quickly. I'm beginning
1: it. to think actually, look, perhaps we should stop there because in a sense what I was going to do on the last slide is really just to sort of recap on some of these, <coughs> some of these issues. Um, and I was sort of looking at the time, yeah. we've been yeah. sort of going pretty fast. We're I mean, it probably.
0: i speed up towards the end.
1: <laughs> quite a lot to absorb. So <laughs> in many ways I think probably we might stop now and throw it open for discussion and questions. Yeah. Thank you. For more information about the different ways you can stay updated and engaged with the work
0: of the Refugee Study Centre, please visit www.rsc.ox.ac.uk forward slash connect.